Turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 7. Hebrews, chapter 7. Pull ourselves together here real quick. Perfect. Thank you so much. We're going to continue our study here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, beginning in verse 11, just to recap a little bit. Then we'll move in and look at verses 15 through 17 here in the time the Lord has allotted for us here this morning. So far in chapter 7, the author of Hebrews has introduced us to the idea that Jesus is a high priest but not a high priest of the same kind, not a alos high priest, but a heteros high priest. So he's a high priest of a different kind, right? He's a high priest of a different kind. He's not from the Levitical order, that, uh, but from a different order. He's from the order of Melchizedek. That's not an easy message to hear for these uh, Christian believers in the book of Hebrews because their entire life, this Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system and the law has been their entire religion. It's been the foundation of everything they've done. It's, it's shaped and molded everything they do each day, each week, certain times a year, each feast, each festival, each Sabbath. Their whole life has revolved around the law and the priesthood, and now here comes Jesus and then his apostles, and they're saying that that law is done that there it is fulfilled, that there's a new covenant, and that this new covenant is better than the old covenant. But they were having a hard time just letting go of those things. You know, traditions are tough to let go of, aren't they? You do them for a long time, and it just feels right, because you've done them for so long. Matter of fact, we do them so long, we do them for so long, and, and because we think they're right, anytime there's a change to any one of those traditions, we're like, <gasps> that can't be right. But that's how it is. Now, why was the priesthood so important to these uh, believers that came out of Judaism? Remember this. The Jews inherently understood that God was unapproachable by us. Everybody wanted, every Old Testament saint, you know what they wanted? They wanted to be in the presence of God. They wanted to be in God's presence all the time. You know what every New, New Testament believer wants? We want to be in the presence of God, don't we? We want to be in the presence of Jesus all the time. We can't wait for that day. It's really no different from that perspective. We really just want to be in God's presence. We know it's going to be glorious. And that's what they wanted too. But they understood because of the law, because of the way that God had interacted with them, that you couldn't just stroll into God's presence any way that you choose. There was a very specific way you needed to come in. And because he's holy and we are not, things needed to be taken care of before we could even come in, even think about coming into his presence. So they knew they couldn't casually just walk into the Holy of Holies to speak with God. They knew that the, they could not come into, into, into his presence on their own terms, any old way that they chose. They had been taught that throughout Scripture. They needed a mediator. They needed somebody who had access to God who would stand before God on their behalf. Couldn't be somebody they chose. We tried that. Remember, we looked at those scriptures. Had to be something that somebody that God chose and said, you will be my mediator. Well, under the law, that mediator was the high priest. And each of the priests had to come from the tribe of Levi. And the high priest, again, uh, had to be a direct descendant of Aaron. But the author of Hebrews had proposed, 
he's proposed that Christ is our great high priest. That's what he's been trying to get across here. His priesthood is greater than the Levitical priesthood. But this whole passage that we're going to look at is really about drawing near to God. That's really what the goal is here. That's really what this passage is about. Because drawing near to God is the goal of every believer, both in the old and the new. And this has been God's redemptive plan from the very beginning. Do you remember clear back in Genesis? Do you remember how God interacted with Adam and Eve? They came into his presence and walked in the coolness of the day, didn't they? In the garden. Why? Because they had complete, unfettered, unhindered access to God. That's how it was in the beginning. That's what God desires with each one of us who are believers. He wants us to be in his presence. But there's this thing called sin that stops us from doing that. Well, uh, again, this has been God's redemptive plan all along. Since the fall, he's been trying to restore that so we can come back into his presence. That was his plan from Genesis through Revelation. So the author of Hebrews is saying, you must understand why it is absolutely essential that Jesus was a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. You need to understand this because this priesthood and this new priest are ushering in a new covenant which is better than the old one. And once you understand that, you're going to realize how much better it really is than what you had before. But this new covenant and the priesthood of Jesus are superior. Why are they superior? Because they provide a way for us to draw near to God. They provide the access to us, for us to have access to God. That's been the desire of every Old Testament saint. That's your desire today. But through this new covenant, through our great new high priest, through his atoning work on the cross, beloved, we have access to God at any time. That's something the Old Testament saints could only dream about. Only dream about. And yet we have access to God. It's an amazing thing. Well, let's review his arguments so far that the author of Hebrews has presented to us so far, verses 11 to 14. Then we'll look at our verses with the time remaining. Look at verse 11 here, just for review. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, people received the law, what further need was there for another, another of a different kind of priest, to arise according to the order of Melchizedek, and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? We said our first point, for, uh, for my note-taking friends here, point number one, perfection cannot be obtained through the Levitical priesthood. Okay? Cannot be obtained through it. Now, what is that word perfection? In Scripture, that word perfect is often used in the sense of maturity or completion or fulfillment of being what uh, or something or someone is meant to be. It's the complete fulfillment of what God intended. That's the idea of it. It's perfect now because it is accomplishing and fulfilling exactly what God intended it to do. To do. So when God tells us to be perfect, what is he saying? Is he saying to be without sin? Well, we know that's not true, right? What is he saying? I want you to be the complete fulfillment of all that I want for you. That's how he usually means it. But in Hebrews, it means something quite a little different. It's along the same line, but a little twist here. It refers to the goal and the aim of Christianity, which is to have a right relationship with God, to be reconciled with God. God says we're in a perfect relationship with him when we're reconciled to him. When we're in a right relationship with him. When we have unhindered access to him. 
God says, now, that's perfect. That is accomplishing exactly what I intended. And in order for us to have a right relationship with God, we have to deal with this thing called sin in our lives because sin is the barrier that stops us from having a right relationship with God. It's the barrier, it's the thing that stops us from being reconciled to God. It has to be accounted for, atoned for, and it's the thing that denies us access to God. Sin. We've been hearing a lot about sin, haven't we? Yeah, a lot about sin. Well, that was the function of the priesthood, was it not? It's to deal with this thing called sin so we could be reconciled to God, right? That's what they were doing in the Old Testament. We gotta, I got to get a right relationship. I got to get rec- reconciled. And if I, can, if I can atone for this sin, I can have access to God, at least, at least temporarily. But if a perfection, if, if what God had intended was this complete reconciliation, this complete right relationship, and this complete access to him, the Levitical priesthood couldn't accomplish that wasn't going to happen. Because if it would have, then there would never be a need for another priesthood to come along, would there? That's the, uh, that's the author of Hebrews' point here. He's saying, listen, notice that word another. Not another of the same kind. We're not just swapping in a new priest in the same order. No, way back in Genesis chapter 14, I told you there was a priest called Melchizedek who was both a king and a priest. And then David, 500 years into the law, prophesying said, yeah, the Messiah is going to be from that order, the order of Melchizedek. They were 500 years under the law at that point. 500 years, five centuries. So why do we need a different kind of priest, a different kind of priesthood? Keep in mind the law of Moses and that system of sacrifices seem virtually untouchable. I told you that before. But something really only attains perfection when it's completed and fulfilled its intended purpose. The law could never do that. Could never do it. So the law and the priesthood minister could only provide a temporary covering. You're in Hebrews 7. Flip over to Hebrews 10. We'll be there someday, Lord willing. Hebrews 10. Verse 1, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, it's a picture, it's a shadow of what was to come, can never, ever, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year after year, make what? Perfect those who draw near. Do you see that? See, that system could never attain what God wanted. That system could never attain what God wanted it to obtain. What is it, what is it that God intended? He wants a right relationship with us. He wants to be reconciled to us. And he wants us to have complete unhindered, unfettered access to him. That's what he wants. That's what he had in the garden, and that's what he's going to restore by the time we get to Revelation. That was his plan, his redemptive plan all along, that same plan. So how do we know we need a different kind of priest? Well, verse 11 again, if that priesthood could bring about perfection, then God would have never prophesied about another priesthood coming along. He never would have said this is going to be a new priesthood and a new order coming along if the old one could accomplish it. That points us to Psalm 110, which we've looked at repeatedly. 
that David wrote at the height of the Levitical priesthood. And that psalm, which is clearly messianic, David predicts that one who will sit at God's right hand as a king will also be a priest, and he'll be according to the order of Melchizedek. So the author's argument is this. If the Levitical priesthood and the law were able to bring about perfection or the completion of reconciling us to God and giving us unhindered access, why in the world did God predict this new priesthood would be coming along? That's his argument. The answer is, of course, that the Levitical priesthood could not accomplish that. The purpose of the priesthood was to reconcile men to God through sacrifice for the sins, but they could only give us a picture of it. They could only give us a type of it, a shadow of it. And as I told you last week, the imperfect can never bring about the perfect. And so it had to go. So point number one, perfection cannot be obtained through the priesthood. How do we know that? Because God prophesied that there would be a change. And if the first would have could have fulfilled it, they never would need the change. Point number two, we saw in verse 12. For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of the law also. God intended all along to bring about another, a heteros, a different kind of priest, and another, a different kind of priesthood, as Psalm 110 verse 4 clearly indicates. Any change in the priesthood would necessitate a change in the law because those two things were fit together. They went hand in hand. They went hand in glove, if you will. You, can't, you wouldn't have the priesthood without the law, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't have the law without the priesthood to administer the law. So you had to have both. They came in together. In essence, he's saying, if the Levitical priesthood is to be replaced by a different kind, then there must be a change in the law. Specifically, remember, we said the ceremonial laws, which were all intended to reconcile man to God, right? So something had to change. That priesthood is going to change, and all those sacrifices, that's going to change too because they were just a picture of atoning. All right, verse 13 and 14, we said last week then, for the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, again, another of a different kind, not, not another branch of Levi or Aaron, from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it's evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke absolutely nothing about concerning priests. So point uh, number three, Jesus is that high priest from the new order of Melchizedek. Okay? So the Levitical priesthood couldn't bring about perfection. If we're going to change the priesthood, it's going to require us to change the law. If you have a change in the priesthood to change in the law, guess what? Jesus is that change, as God prophesied from long, long ago. Now let's pick it up in verse 15, and we get to point number four in our passage. Christ's priesthood can attain perfection because it's based on the power of his indestructible life. Christ's priesthood can attain perfection because it's based on the power of his indestructible life. So let's look at verses 15 and 17 together, shall we? And this is clearer still. If another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law, a physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life, for it is attested of him, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. 
Well, in verse 15 we see, notice that the author begins with the assertion, this is clearer still. He's, he's saying, listen. In other words, it's even more evident, it's even more clear that not only has a change taken place in the Levitical priesthood to the order of Melchizedek, but that this new priesthood is better. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, it's, I just told you how clear it is that, that the, the Levitical priesthood couldn't obtain perfection. I just showed you how clear it is that God prophesied that a change would take place. Well, it couldn't be any clearer. And yet he says, here it is. It's clear yet still. In other words, it's even more evident that a change has taken place. So now we're moving from why we need a change in the priesthood, which was verses 11 to 14, to how and why this change is actually better for us. Notice the word another. Again, this is another of a different kind. He says, if or since a different priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek. And let's stop there for just a minute so we can look at those two words briefly. No, I want you to notice that word likeness. Do you see that? He says, in the likeness of Melchizedek. you see that? According to the likeness of Melchizedek at the end of verse 15. Usually he says what? The order of Melchizedek. Christ arises as a different kind of priest in the likeness of Melchizedek. This, he's referring back to, remember back when I told you what a type was, when we looked at the very first verses in chapter 7. Remember a type? A type is an Old Testament figure who's a picture of somebody in the New Testament, right? Remember the ark is a type of salvation, right? It's a picture of what salvation accomplishes. The, the bronze serpent they held up, right, was a type of salvation. Right? It showed a type of Christ being lifted up, and those who looked upon him by faith were healed, right? Those are types. Christ, uh, no, he uses the word now likeness here along with the word arises. Christ arises as a different kind of priest in the likeness of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a type of Christ because he was a priest king who ruled... In, and his rule was based in righteousness, and it brought peace in his kingdom. Do you remember that? And he was also, his priesthood was perpetual. It never ended, and it was eternal, as evidenced by the scriptures. It was eternal. So now we move to the second word. That second word, arises. That word, in the form that it's in in this text, means to arise by myself. Not somebody else didn't lift me up there. Somebody else didn't put me in there. I arose by myself. So there's not a single Levitical priest that could say they arose themselves to be the priest. They could not say that. Because every Levitical priest was ordained only if they could prove that they were of the ancestry of Levi. And they must be replaced at death by another in the same line. So a, Levit a Levitical priest could only arise to the priesthood, not by themselves, but only by means of their ancestral heritage. Only Jesus could say, I arose as a priest by myself. Only Christ could say that. Incidentally, that word for arise is anestemai, and it's also used in another place in the New Testament, in Acts 32. And you know what it's talking about there? It's talking about the resurrection. It's talking about Jesus' resurrection. Jesus arises himself from the dead to establish he's a different kind of priest in the likeness of Melchizedek. What is he saying here? Look at verse 16. 
who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. Melchizedek was made a priest by God, not as a function of having descended from anyone, did he? He wasn't from the line of Abraham. He and Abraham were, were together in the same time period. They weren't related at all. Remember that. He was made a priest by some other basis. And so Jesus, having been declared a priest in the order of Melchizedek, was also not a function of having descended from a particular person. Rather, it was a function of him being set apart by God. What was, what was it that set him apart? The power of an indestructible life. And this is a reference to Christ's resurrection, which is shown to be indestructible, and through which he performed the greatest act of a high priest could ever be performed. Think of how different that was from the Levitical priests. The Levitical priests, as I stated earlier, earlier were, chased, were chosen only because they belonged to a certain tribe. That's it. They had, they had to come from the line of Aaron and Levi to qualify as a priest. Oh, and incidentally, there were 142 physical things externally that you could not have. And you can look at those in Leviticus 21, I believe it is, where you can read each one of those. Now, can you imagine? You want to become a priest. You're from the right family, if you will. You're from the right heritage. But now we're going to pour over your body there to make sure you don't have 142 different blemishes on your body that would disqualify you from being a high priest, right? So I guess if you have a skin tag, you're out, right? Or you have or eczema or whatever it is. You're a psoriasis. If you have anything that would be, you're out. You can't, you can't be in. You're from the right tribe, but one of your blemishes would disqualify you. But notice that they're all external. All the qualifications for being a high priest were external. They're not things about you. They're things... They're not things you control. They're not about you inwardly. They're all about you externally. Yes, I come from the right family, and I don't have any of the blemishes that would disqualify me. Those are all external things. It didn't matter what your spiritual life was like. That didn't have anything to do with it, whether you qualified to be a priest or not. How do we know that's true? Well, look through the Old Testament. You can tell. I mean, there's some folks in there that are definitely not spiritual. Right? They're not spiritual. All the tests were external. If you had the right bloodlines, and if you didn't have any disqualifying blemishes, you were in. It's as simple as that. All external. R. Kent Hughes writes this, Even his ordination ceremony, this is the high priest, was painstakingly external regarding how he was to be bathed, how he was to be clothed, how he was to be anointed with oil, marked with blood. After his ordination, he had to observe special specified washings and anointings and hair cuttings. The focus was what? All external. Here's how you'll wear your hair. Here's how you'll be bathed. Here's what you'll put on. Here's the clothes that you'll wear. They're very specific. All outside, 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 outside. Nothing inside to be a priest's. On the other hand, this new priest, Christ, like Melchizedek, has one grand qualification, and it's not external at all. It's internal. What is it? He has the power of an indestructible life. That does not mean that he never died. It means that our priest, our priest died a death that could not hold him. A death that was followed by a resurrection. 
Therefore, to say Jesus is a high priest on the basis of an indestructible life is to say that he's a high priest based on the resurrection. End quote. Look at verse 17 now. The author now supports what he's been trying to say with a direct quotation. Here it is, Psalm 110. He quotes it again as he has throughout this passage. This is the key Old Testament text in this chapter. Notice this phrase right before he gets to the quote. He says, for it is attested of him. Notice that's the same thing he said in chapter 7, verse 8, when he was talking about being witnessed of him. Why does he say that? He says that, beloved, to point them back and remind them. This isn't my theory. This isn't my speculation. This is what the word of God has said. Every time he's had an argument against them, all throughout this argument, he keeps bringing them back to scripture. Here's Psalm 110. Here's what happened. Here's the time frame. Don't forget about the context of when this was happening. Oh, and by the way, did you notice that Melchizedek doesn't have any genealogy? Yet every other priest, we know exactly when they were born, and we know everybody in their family, and it's all accounted for in our records. But now Melchizedek, there's no genealogy. There's no beginning, and there's no end, which means that his priesthood is still going on, technically, because it, in Scripture, it never showed that he died. He keeps bringing him back to Scripture, bringing him back to Scripture, explaining, explaining, explaining. That's intentional. He's saying, everything I'm telling you is from the Word of God, prophesied long ago and then fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Secondly, notice that word forever. You are a priest forever, because that's the main point of this quotation. And the author is using it to support his statement about Jesus' indestructible life. Psalm 110 designates this new priesthood as eternal and different. And notice in the text in verse 17, it's from Psalm 110. This is the Father speaking to the Son. God the Father to God the Son, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So the resurrection not only declared Jesus to be the Son, it also marks the inauguration of his priesthood. Beloved, the Levitical priesthood, no matter how ill-suited a person was, no matter how reluctant they were to take that office, the law made that man a priest by his ancestry and his lack of physical blemishes. It was all external. But in the priesthood of Jesus Christ, it's not an external requirement, but the internal power of an indestructible life as evidenced through the resurrection. In human form, Jesus experienced all that is common to man, everything, even death, through the exercise of his own will. Turn to John chapter 10 for just a second. The Gospel of John, chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I what? I lay down my life so that I may take it again. Verse 18. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. 
this commandment I received from my father. He then rose by the power of an indestructible life, and he now lives as our great high priest. That's our great high priest right there, that one. Not the one not the one who was taking sacrifices and putting the blood on an altar, and then he died and another one put his place, who had no spiritual qualification at all other than the fact he happened to be from the right family and he didn't have any physical blemishes. No, that's not our heart. That's not our great high priest. Our great high priest is this one who willingly lays down his life, who willingly shed his blood, who willingly went to the cross to atone for our sin. That's our great high priest. What a difference that is. And because of his atoning work on the cross, and because he's our great high priest, he actually can bring about perfection. He can reconcile us to God. He can give us a right relationship to God. And now we have access to God through him. Drawing near to God is the very essence of what it means to be a Christian, beloved. That intimate relationship you have with God is not something you could have ever done by yourself, ever. It is only through his atoning work. That's the perfection that God desires for all of his children. That's the perfection. It couldn't be obtained through the Levitical priesthood. There had to be a change in the priesthood and the law. Jesus is that great new high priest in the order of Melchizedek, as Scripture had prophesied before. And his priesthood can actually attain this perfection and give us access to God. That's his ultimate desire. That's been God's redemptive plan all along. And it can only be accomplished by him. There's no greater example of that than the resurrection, is there? Which he declared to be a great high priest. He now sits at the right hand of the Father. And it's there with this wonderful truth that we're going to stop today. I just want you to.